Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Muddy Knees Media. Totally Football League show. Canaries fly to the top, Tranmere pick a hill to try on, and who's that stylish chap swaggering over the Clifton suspension bridge and into the Bristol Rovers' hot seat? Tis Dale! This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Yes, hello gang, Matt Davis-Adams here, back with my parent club after a high-profile loan to the top flight. They had no interest in turning it into a permanent deal. And to be honest, I had to work hard to persuade producer Abby to give me my old squad number back after Faye did such a sterling job this past fortnight. So I'm here. Who else is with me though? Well, give me a minute and I'll tell you. From the world of football podcasting and journalism, in her own words, supporter of a normal semi-functioning club that no one really cares or writes about is Flo Lloyd Hughes. How's tricks, FLH? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, Matt. I hope you're well. Yeah, very well, thank you. Uh, also here, Sam Parkin, an EFL goal centurion and sleep-deprived co-commentator. Wakey, wakey, Sam. Hello, Matt. How you doing? I'm all right. Sam was on late night slash early morning MLS duty for Sky, but he's back covering his preferred football acronym today. Uh, last but not least, he's been called the EFL Tipping King, which makes it all the more curious that he's had such a rotten run with our midweek hacker. The former winger turned analyst Adrian Clark is here. Hello, Clarky. <laughs> hello, hello. What, one out of two, I think, is, yeah, I don't know if that constitutes a crisis, but uh, we'll try and keep, keep everyone in the black this week. Yeah, it's a worrying dip, we'll call it that. OK, it's time for this. Performance of the weekend. Yes, it's performance of the weekend. 15 seconds per contestant. Who done the best football flow? You chose Wickham Wanderers. You can go first. Your 15 seconds start now. The gaffer Gareth Ainsworth back in town after his back operation, his Guns and Roses mask over his face and cowboy boots on his feet. Wickham are growing confidence every week, taking it to the promotion favourites. It's less we're happy to be here and more let's make sure we stick around. About half a second to spare. Listen, what you don't know is that Flo got that absolutely perfect first take, but um, Abby's internet let her down. So minus points for the producer there. Sam, how about you? You've gone for Fleetwood Town. Your 15 seconds start now. Five wins in six for the Cod Army. Captain Pugwash galore with another five goals racked up against the hapless Pilgrims. Roster and Finley ran the midfield. Callum Camps already into double figures. Only Marquis at Portsmouth has scored more. Joey, we might have to start being nicer. Very good. I'm going to go next. I pick Carlisle United. My 15 seconds start now. Crawley hadn't lost at home in the league for 14 games until United came to town on Saturday. But Chris's boys proved life's a beach for Yemo and co. Running out 3-0 winners, doubling their away goals tally for the season in the process, making the 696-mile round trip a bit more bearable as the moved to within a point of the automatic spots. (laughs) (laughs) Bonus bit of Yemo audio in there. Gotta love that. What a guy. Uh, Clarky, you've gone last. You, you haven't done very well at this. I see you've picked the team with the largest supporter base. Your 15 seconds to discuss Bournemouth starts now. OK, it was only a 45-minute performance, but scoring once every 10 minutes or so against Reading, it was a pretty special 45. Great tactical tweaks from Tyndall. David Brooks pulling the string. Solanke at the double. And the cherry on the cake was a post. <laughs> 
went over a bit, but I did imp- appreciate the. So, uh, you know, you got punt. you got to be fast sometimes. You know, Adrian. <laughs> Some of us are born for this kind of life, but you know. <laughs> Uh-huh. It happened, look, you, you, if you're still doing this pod in about 20 years when you're my age, <laughs> let, 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 let's see how quick you are then, eh? <laughs> uh, if, you, if you want to give Adrian a rare W, go to at the Totally Show on Twitter. You can see the poll there. Uh, before we get to the match action, let's talk about the five subs rule that came into effect this weekend. Um, Sam, what do you think? Necessary evil, good idea that's here to stay or brutally unfair way to hand teams with deep squads a big advantage? I'm a little bit on the fence about it. I think it's going to lead to some really intriguing ends to games. Um, obviously, we don't have the extra time to contend with with the, the league programme. But yeah, the opportunity to to really freshen up sides in latter stages is probably going to see a plethora of late goals. Um, teams hanging on for dear life because you can essentially change half your team. Ryan Lowe did just that. I think about half time at the weekend. So uh, I'm sure we'll come on to that later. So going to be very interesting, but it is a season like no other. And you, it probably does mean that the, the teams with the deepest squads are going to have a little bit of the upper hand, which is not entirely fair, you would you would say. And that, that's something that we've tried to, I suppose, police throughout all this, just keeping it as... Uh, sporting the sporting integrity basically in place until we we get beyond this. But Flo, I guess that the sporting integrity has to come secondary to to player welfare, and and you can also make the argument that the sporting integrity won't be there if and when supporters are allowed back at some stage of this season anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm with Sam a little bit on this. I felt like an idiot, not for the first time. Back way back when at Project Restart, when I thought it was silly that the Premier League clubs and um, EFL clubs didn't want it for this season. And obviously now EFL backtracked on that. But at the same time, when you look at the fixture schedule, it is ridiculous, the, the demands on players. And then you've got internationals being played and stuff. But it does favour the big clubs because your beloved Nottingham Forest, Matt, with their, you know, 35 strong uh, roster of, you know, senior players, clubs like that, it is, it's fine for them. But for smaller clubs, you know, I'm not going to get my violin out for QPR, but they can barely afford, you know, the 23. And most of a lot of the time they're naming one or two younger under 23 players on the bench. So it is really tough for the for the clubs that can't provide that depth and that talent and afford much bigger wages and much stronger squads. So that's the only thing that is a bit frustrating. But I do think for player welfare reasons, it's a smart move, but it'll just be interesting to see how clubs use it. Yeah, weird that Forrest have got such a massive squad and yet made one substitution at Barnsley on Saturday. <laughs> what, what do you make of it, Adrian? Yeah, necessary evil, I guess. Um, I hope it's just for this season. I hope it doesn't catch on because five subs does disrupt the flow of games. Personally, I, I think just managers should rest and rotate their starting 11s more often. You know, if players are, are struggling and you feel that they're they're, they're tired or, or at risk of injury, then then put them on the bench instead of instead of starting them relentlessly game in game out and and then using the the new rule to make the the changes because I do think anything above three definitely slants it towards the bigger clubs so so yeah I, I would have happily not seen it come into play but look, we are where we are and uh, yeah everyone can stop moaning now can't they <laughs> yeah we'll see all right good stuff let's championship. 
On this week's From the Horse's Mouth podcast, the lads are joined by Shane Lowry, fresh from his master's performance at Augusta. Here's what Shane's caddy was too scared to say to Tiger Woods after his disastrous 10 on the 12th. Because any time he hit a bad drive or an average drive, he'd say to Joe's caddy, that was like one of yours. And we stood on the 13th tee and Bo said to me, what do you think he'd say if I said to him, I bet you wish Joe hit that one? <laughs> <laughs> Search Paddy Power on your podcast provider to listen now. Paddy Power. 18 plus this is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines. Norwich, top of the table, courtesy of Apuki Pen. Team Apuki's penalty, rolled into the corner of the net. There's no doubt about that one. Norwich City lead at the Riverside. It's Team Apuki's fifth goal of the season. Rue Senior co-management didn't help Derby even after Brizzle's close shot this week. Other impressive results saw Wickham hold Brentford to a 0-0 draw, Barnsley beat Forest, as usual, while Swansea are up to fourth after seeing off Rotherham. Uh, according to the Athletics' David Ornstein, Borussia Dortmund are looking at Brentford's Marcus Fors. And Preston's Darnell Fisher might well have ballsed up his chances of playing in North End's next few fixtures after twice grabbing Callum Patterson by the swingers in Saturday's win against Sheffield Wednesday. Pulis, more like Paul this... Um, first game we're going to talk about though, Bournemouth for Reading 2. Bournemouth coming back from 2-0 down to win a game. First time they've done that in three years and 11 months. They shared six goals with the Royals on the south coast. Uh, Adrian, pretty good Bournemouth at the moment. You know, we'll get to Reading, team of two halves, season of two halves so far for them. But, but Bournemouth looking really solid. Yeah, they are. Yeah, and look, it didn't go their way in the first half of this game, but they didn't let it impact them. They, they carried on regardless. Hang on. <laughs> my wife is just crawling into the room. Just to, just to my right. <laughs> uh, love it. Right. Um, no, it was, uh, yeah, the first half didn't go Bournemouth's way. But it was another good day for, for Jason Tindall. Absolutely brilliant because he addressed the problem at half time, really tore into his players, maybe for the first time actually, since he took the hot seat, because it's largely gone pretty well, hasn't it? So he's laid into them at half time. He's hauled off Diego Rico and switched Lloyd Kelly from centre half to, to left back. And it, it sort of reinvigorated the team and, and it was a tremendous second half, packed with good football. Really, really good goals. I mean Lewis Cook's screamer was just a peach, wasn't it? And I really like the David Brooks pass for Dan Juma, the cross from Kelly for Solanke and even the Solanke goal where he tackles Raphael. That was that that showed real spirit as well. So yeah, it was tremendous from Bournemouth and Tindall looks a good manager to me. It's, it's pretty hard to find any fault with him so far. Flo, I'm not doing predictions on Bournemouth anymore, but, but I've got to say, I didn't think that they'd start this season quite as well as they have done. But as we've spoken about before, if you, if you can keep a core group of some of your Premier League players when you come down, it's a huge advantage. Yeah, massively. I mean, they were one of my favourites for promotion just based on who they held on to. And players like Dan Juma, who were never a massive part of their team in the Premier League, but are now coming to the front. And, you know, they paid a pretty good bit of money for him. So the, the expectation is that he would be this good. But I, I think that they've done a really good job. And, and also having a manager who's part of that philosophy, who's been there alongside the former manager, it really helps. We've seen so many 
new managers coming in and doing quite well at the start of the season, obviously Watford and Reading being a part of that. But now things are sort of plateauing a bit. And I think this is where Bournemouth are really going to push ahead because they've got that experience and that philosophy around them with a good core group of players. I think the the guys are both spot on. And I think the bravery of Jason Tindall, not admitting he, he got it wrong, but being bold to change the the system, it looked like it was going to be a three four three, three five two this season. So to revert back to the to the back four and get an extra flair player into his lineup, I think we have to commend him in that getting Brooks and and Solanke and Dan Juma all out there together um, shows that you know he can rely on his defence to defend the back four and his goalkeeper to make saves when he's called upon. And Begovic did that at the weekend and they've got so much talent going forward to score goals. So I think that's the, the biggest thing that he's shown that he's adaptable and it, it looks to have been paying off after a couple of really subpar performances, something needed to change and he's done exactly that. He's not really nailed manager attire though, has he? Do you think, I mean, is the jury still out on the on the sort of oversized, long sleeping bag coat? I'm I just, I just not a fan of it myself. Low bar I'm, for that in the championship this season. I, I, always thought he was, I always thought he was far too good looking for a centre-half as well when I played against him. I didn't really <laughs> want to kick him. But I'm down there tomorrow night, so maybe I'll pass that on, Clarkey. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, yeah. Give him a voucher for, for ASOS or something and say, you know, from Adrian says you need to... <laughs> Brush up in your fashion sense. Uh, Tyndall might not look that good in terms of his outfit. I'm not going to even try and segue into that like that. Uh, Adrian, that's Bournemouth. What about Reading? Four defeats on the spin now. Conceded at least three in each of those. It's quite a spectacular collapse from where they were. It's not great, is it? Yeah, they've suffered injuries. I think that, that much has to be has to be said. They've had a bit of an issue at right back all season, Reading. Sort of been a revolving door since Yeardong got injured. And I think he's probably the first choice. Thomas Estevez, I think, is a fan's favourite type of player. But from what I've seen of him, positionally, he's not the best. He's not the best defender. Um, quite eye-catching going forward. He's got the long hair. He's he's clearly a player of talent. But I don't know if he's the, the answer to for them at, at right back, so that, that's that's one issue. Um, but look, I, I imagine it's just a dip because Paunovic seems like a good organizer to me. I think he's he yeah. I, I think first impressions are pretty good in terms of the Reading boss. So I'm, I'm sure they'll sort it. I wanted to have a little a little bit of love for that that goal from Lewis Cook. Back it comes now to Stanislas again, top of the box and Brooks opportunity to get it out of his feet. It comes back to Lewis Cook. No room to shoot. Yes, there is Lewis Cook. So I'm not a bad way for him to open his account for the cherries. No, it was a, it's a wonderful goal because it's it's not just a goal, a shot smashed towards the target. He actually puts a bit of whip on it. He picks out that top right hand corner, and every goal looks better when it kisses the crossbar on the way into the rigging. Hundred <laughs> percent. Well, Bournemouth host the two-time European champions Nottingham Forest on Tuesday. Reading go to Millwall 23 hours later. Uh, game of the day on Saturday was in the pottery. Stoke coming out on the right side of a seven-goal thriller against Huddersfield. Five of the seven goals in a frantic 20-minute spell. Clarky, this was Stoke's first back-to-back wins. Despite that, though, I-, I think they're getting promoted. Do you agree? Oh, that's quite a bold call. But they're, they're heading in the right direction. If you look at 
the points per game that Michael O'Neill has, has accrued since he joined the club. It's good enough for the playoffs, actually. Um, 43 games in charge, 69 points. And obviously Swansea got into the playoffs last year on 70. So so you'd have to say that they've been in playoff form since he took over, um, which I don't think many people would have would have realised. The problem they had early in the season was at home. Could they find a formula that was more exciting, that where they could get an extra attacking player onto the pitch and, and stretch teams? They've done that. Jacob Brown's come in of late and lifted the sort of vibrancy of the forward line. And it's, it's sort of freed up Fletcher and Powell and in particular Tyrese Campbell, to, to really thrive. I mean, Campbell is one of the division's form guys, isn't he? So, yeah, lots lots to like about about Stoke at the moment. Um, wasn't brilliant defensively in this game. I think that the right back was was potentially culpable for a couple of the goals. But, um, but yeah, yeah they're, they're looking good, and I wouldn't tip against them reaching the playoffs. 7-2 uh, on Paddy Power to get promoted, by the way. Flo, you were bigging up Tyrese Campbell on Twitter on Saturday. Looks like the real deal, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think Stoke have a better blend now of youth and experience because they had got a bit of a reputation of being full of kind of old cr- and crusty pros that were just picking up a last paycheck. But I think O'Neill's done well to make use of some of that experience, but not let it dominate the team, which is definitely what had been happening over the last few years. And he's done a brilliant job. I didn't even realise it was their first back-to-back win of the season. And even though we've been, I think people have been talking about them a lot as one of the, you know, promotion contenders and and progressing so much it's surprising that it took them that long to to get there but it's just about building for them I think it's probably I think it's a bit too early for them to go up I think they still need to build a bit more with O'Neill and make sure they're ready because I would be fearful of it all going a bit wrong once they get back up to the Premier League but I think next season they'll definitely have it as you know automatic promotion for sure but I agree with Adrian I think a playoff would be good for them this season. Yeah, and a decent week for Joe Bursick. Made his England under-21 debut in the week and then his first Stokes start between the sticks here. As for Huddersfield, Sam, I feel like it's going to be one of these kind of seasons for them. They were four unbeaten, now one win in six. It's been a, a fairly traumatic couple of years in terms of all the, the managerial upheaval. This is just going to be a kind of season of inconsistency for them, perhaps. Yeah, possibly. But I think there's a clear... Uh, way of playing that that we've seen already. I mean, 69% of the ball, that's maybe not completely a surprise considering the opposition you're up against and the way that Michael O'Neill likes to set his sides up. But big contrast at the weekend. They get after the ball very quickly, Stoke City, and obviously it forced Huddersfield into into errors. So that's where they're going to have to improve with the ball if they're going to play this style because the, the big errors led to goals in in the first half. Stearman and, and obviously Pereira, uh, another third choice uh, in uh, for a rare start for, for Huddersfield, like Bursic for, for Stoke. So I'm surprised we've got to this stage without talking about that because two goalkeepers really at fault for all the goals, but you could tell that they, they hadn't played a great deal of football. So I thought that was really interesting. But they've had some standout results, Huddersfield, you know, winning away at Swansea and, and Thump Mill away from home. So I agree. I think it's a year where the, the supporters are going to have to be a little bit patient. They still need to improve the squad. That was the biggest thing, I think, under the the, the, the the Cowley's tenure towards the end. And also in the summer, I don't think this manager was, was backed fully. But given time... Uh, I think his credentials will, will stand up and they'll probably go on and, and be a threat in the championship moving forward. 
Yeah, definitely promising signs for, for Huddersfield. I quite like the look of Iting, the, the midfielder. It was a lovely little um, drop of the shoulder and through ball for one of the goals. He scored a, a technically excellent goal himself as well. So so he looks decent. The problem they've got, I think, is they're a little bit too married to playing out from the back, as Sam was touching on. Stoke, afterwards, they talked, Michael O'Neill and the players, they talked about how the game plan was basically to smother Jonathan Hogg. Everything seems to go through him when they pass out from the back. And for one of the goals, I think it was Nick Powell robbed him. So they've got to come up with something different. Otherwise, all their opponents will will look to do the same thing. So, so it's part of the learning process for them. All right, let's rattle through another couple of championship games. Bristol City won Derby nil, tumultuous time for both clubs. City had to close their training ground last week after a number of positive COVID cases. Didn't need much practice to beat Derby, though. For Mara Jeju with the winner late on. Seven times they've scored in the final 15 minutes of games this season. Sam, Derby, uh, too many cooks here? Who, who's actually in charge? You can't have four joint managers at the same time, can you? <laughs> I remember I asked Ryan about it last week or the previous time he was on, Ryan Conway. Seems to be a lot of people in that technical area all season with quite a lot to say. A lot of iPads, a lot of notes. So I think that was a problem prior to Koku being relieved of his duties. I think this is an unusual case, maybe, because we've got two chaps there who are desperate for the job. I think that was very apparent last week. And maybe they're not completely singing off the same hymn sheet. So that can be difficult for the players. Uh, it looks to me that uh, Liam Rossini definitely wants the gig. He's very highly thought of obviously his work as a pundit and now as a as a coach I think in, in terms of what he could go on and achieve I mean it could be anything I think his reputation is that high uh, and obviously Wayne Rooney's the best player we've had for 20 years so you, in this country so you can understand the the desire for both of these chaps to get their first opportunity um, what they've got at the moment is not a particularly good team or a particularly good squad I think the performance was marginally better at the weekend, but still no potency going forward. And until they they solve that, they're going to be a team that's going to be fighting to stay in this division this year. Um, I think he needs to get Knight into his best position. I think they need to integrate Sibley back into the side. But the biggest thing is finding someone to get them the goals because the performance was better, but not enough in the final third. What do you think, Flo? Yeah, I think it's so clear. I completely agree with Sam on all of that. And I think it's really clear that there's a complete leadership vacuum there. There's no one who has control really of the tactics, the strategy, the dressing room. It, it, everyone is Everyone's on an equal playing field. And I don't think that necessarily works when you're a club in trouble. I think you need someone to be taking the lead and to be in charge. It just seems at the moment, it, no one really knows what to do. And when you move someone who's been you know, a core part of the team as a player and now say, right, you're player manager, but you've got three other coaches with potentially equal responsibility, it, it just doesn't work. They're close to getting that takeover over the line. It's been approved by the EFL. So I think the best case scenario is just to get that done. I think bring someone external in so that the power and the the structure is kind of reasserted and, and keep on 
someone like Rutinia as assistant because I think like Sam said he's got massive potential perhaps he doesn't want to be assistant and he wants the top gig now and maybe he'll need to go elsewhere but I think you need a a bigger presence there because I think they will climb out you know that they, they, they haven't got loads of work to do because the people above them haven't stretched it that much so they could climb out quite easily but they just need to make a definitive decision now because otherwise they'll start slipping further and further back but hopefully once they've got this takeover over the line and sorted then they can start building and just go back to basics it's a volatile market but Paddy Power got Rooney as even money favorite for the gig Rossini at 14 to 1 even though he's eminently more qualified and let's move on to Middlesbrough nil Norwich one as was the case in my recent run-in with Hammersmith and Fulham Council's parking department there was penalty drama at the Riverside when Norwich moved top of the pile courtesy of Pookie's pen, but that came after Borough had their own spot kick ruled out because James Tavernier touched the ball twice as he slipped and scored. Warnock said, he just slipped, didn't he? I've not asked him, but that's what ref said, and he's main one. Um, Adrian, has this ever happened in a game that you've played in? No, I don't think so. No, I could see how it happens. I mean, yeah, I, I think I've taken penalties and slipped as I've taken it before, but luckily... Never, never sort of had the double hit, but yeah, a good spot I think from the from the referee. Even though, I mean, how do we feel about it? I mean, is there a big advantage in a double hit anyway? I mean, it's not like you do it on purpose, is it? I I kind of feel that that it should be allowed, but but look, the rules the rules are there. Um, but yeah, Borough didn't really do enough, I don't think, to to win the game anyway. Norwich were the better team, controlled it. Just made me laugh actually afterwards with Neil Warnock. He, he, he just hates refs, doesn't he? Full stop. He just absolutely despises a lot of them, and <laughs> and he couldn't he couldn't resist having having really digging out the official here and, and basically labelling him Mike Riley too. So he so he's he's sort of offended pretty much every official going with with, with the latest comments. So so yeah, well done on that. On Norwich, I just feel that they um, it was a good win. But it might have come at a cost. I think Rupp um, has, has done his hamstring, which which might be a problem. Hugill has got a problem as well. So so the injuries are mounting up because Mumba and Kintia are also out at the moment. So so Norwich are going great guns at the moment. Only eight conceded in twelve games. Unbelievable difference from the Premier League. But the next run of games might might be tougher for them on on a depleted team. Yeah, Daniel Farker said Pookie came back from international duty looking like a ghost. I, I would argue that he went looking like a ghost because he always sort of looks like a ghost. Um, and also, I said I said James Tavernier. Of course, I meant Marcus. That's just my audition for the Totally Scottish football show. Um, before we move on from the championship, Flo, have you got anything to say about QPR's draw against Watford? I know you watched it with the fam. Yeah, mu- much improved from QPR, I think... It means that Tuesday night against Rotherham is a, is a big, important win because we need to start building form again. They played exceptionally well in the second half, could have won it. Ben Foster was fantastic in the Watford goal. And yeah, they, they looked much improved and they took it to Watford, which was great and worked hard, played some nice attacking football. I think fans are hoping to see the Scottish version of Lyndon Dykes. At the moment, I think we're getting the Aussie version and not the not the Lyndon Dykes that turns up for international duty. He shows flashes of it, but he missed a really good chance late on. So it's, it's something to build on is what I'd say, but a good point. Right then, busy midweek of EFL action. We thought we'd build a knacker with our friends from Paddy Power. Uh, I'll kick us off because my position as the host affords me that right. My selection comes from the championship. I'm going for both teams to score in the game between Stoke and Norwich. Abby, what will you, a.k.a. Paddy Power, give me on that, please? 
So for both teams to score between Stoke and Norwich, Matt, you're looking at three to four. Crikey. Uh, Sam, your pick also comes from the Championship. Yeah, I'm going to go for Huddersfield to beat Wickham uh, away from home. Touched on it earlier. They've won at Swansea. Thump Millwall as well. Three goals to nil. Wickham obviously still struggling in the goal scoring terms, just the six for them so far. And having scored three at the weekend, the Terriers uh, in defeat at Stoke. I just think that kind of, I'll do it again. Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday might be uh, <laughs> might be tough for, for Wickham now. The, the reality of what it takes to get points in the championship may set in this week. Abby, what are the odds on that? Well, for Huddersfield to travel to Wickham and win, it is 11 to 10. Okay, we'll roll on with that as the show progresses. Next up, we're off to League One. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. The heating's on and it's getting darker earlier and earlier. So why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week? That's right, just 100 of your finest British sterling. And every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around. Plus, a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com forward slash league show. League One headlines. Bristol just got a whole lot more stylish as Tisdale takes Rover's job. On the pitch, Blackpool tower over Posh. Grant wallops one in for Sunderland, but Black Cat's left bitter after Rover's late riposte. There's no place like home for Kenny, Dorothy, Jacket and Pompey as they crush crew. And the Spanish consortium hoping to buy Wigan have had their exclusivity period extended for a second time as they try to tie up a deal to buy these stricken latics. Hmm. Uh, let's start our look back at the weekend's action at London Road, where Peterborough lost their grip on top spot after losing 2-1 at home to a resurgent Blackpool side who paid tribute to their academy manager, Warren Green, who passed away last week. Uh, Clarky, five wins on the spin in all comps for Blackpool now. It was always going to take time, not only for for such a, a new squad, but a new manager as well, and those to, to integrate together, but, but signs that starting to happen now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Neil Critchley um, was under a bit of pressure. Results weren't going well. They'd, they'd recruited a lot of new players in the summer, and it looked like it might be going pear shaped for them. But suddenly, it's it's clicked into gear. He's he's moved to a four four two. I think he started the season primarily with uh, three up front, and he's gone for gone for a front two um, with um, with Gary Medine up there alongside Jerry Yates, and 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 they seem to. Have hit it off, don't they? I mean, I did see. I mean, you brought this to my attention. They've dubbed themselves the York and Cole of Blackpool, which I thought was a little bit cringy. But after what five games together, six games at the most. But yeah, good luck to the boys. Um, they've clearly got got a good connection going. Two two decent wide men as well with Kai Kai and and, and Hamilton to supply the ammo. And in midfield, I think the form of Kenny Dougal has been really, really big for the Tangerines. Um, he, he was excellent for, for Barnsley, I thought. So, so yeah, it's, it's fallen into place for, for Blackpool. Four four wins from five as well in the in League One. 
This was big, though, because the wins that they'd had of late in the league were against MK Dons, Burton and Wigan. And and I think, obviously, we, we've praised MK Dons, but they're, you know, stats will tell you they're one of the more beatable teams, as are Burton and Wigan. This was going away to posh, hadn't lost at home for, for, for ages, and they didn't just fluke this. They dominated the game. They took the fight to them, uh, and they outclassed them on the day. It was a really adventurous high-class performance from Blackpool that I think will really have got got the the fans excited watching online. So, um, yeah, look, can they keep it up? We'll have to wait and see. But but right now, you don't want to be facing Blackpool, I don't think. Yeah, Flo, as a a neutral, I don't know about you, but I'm quite happy to to see them settled and doing well because they've had such a a horrible few years in terms of everything that's gone on with with the ownership up until this point. It's nice to see it sort of smooth sailing at the moment. Yeah, and like Adrian mentioned, I saw Blackpool a couple of weeks ago face AFC Wimbledon and they were terrible. They had two men sent off. They were all over the place, ill-disciplined and just it didn't look really like they knew what they were doing. And they look like a completely different team now. I really like the look of Jerry Yates. He's dynamic and strong and is such a good outlet for them. He's got two goals and two assists this season, was on loan at Swindon and scored bags of goals last year. So it's really nice to see them doing well. And I think those doubts about Critchley at the start, like Adrian mentioned, are easing now and people are starting to believe in what he's trying to do. And I think that's great because you'd like to see them moving forward and they weren't really I don't think many's automatic promotion favourites but now they can push on a bit I thought it was worth a line on um, Colin Calderwood coming in as well to help Neil Critchley so uh, a rookie manager with someone who's vastly experienced uh, in the building now and I think that's the good football that they've been playing we've seen that they're going to try and play a nice brand Uh, it's translating into results now and I thought another Major part of it at the weekend, Jerry Yates and Medine spot on from Flo and Kenny Dougal as well. I think the um, completed the, the most tackles on the pitch. Obviously wonderful for Barnsley, someone we wax lyrical about. But Ekpateta as well. I think there was a lot of question marks about in his early games for, for Blackpool. But keeping, for me, pound for pound, Johnson Clark Harris, one of the best strikers at that level. So quiet at the weekend. And also being the, the link in terms of the defence in the midfield, being able to bring the ball out and play the way that Neil Critchley wants his lads to do. I think he was imperative in the victory and and, and what a victory against a a top side. It reminded me a little bit of early days Liverpool, where I don't think Blackpool... I I think they realise they haven't got a stiller defence. That's a shout. No, 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 no. no. (laughs) Bear with me, bear with me. Stylistically, it reminded me of early days Liverpool because I... I don't think they've got a great defence. I don't think it's one of the best in the division, but they've started to, to defend from the front better. You've got two strikers that really graft and, and close people down, and that midfield is, is really hard working. 4-4-2 can work really well. I still think it's the best system if you've got 11 players that will really graft, particularly the wide players and, and the front guys that will, will dig in for the team, because it can leave you light in midfield. But, um, but yeah, they're protecting 
the back four much better now than they were early in the season. And that's what Liverpool did when they had a dodgy defence. It only works if you write it out on the back of a fag packet and you've got Benson and Hedges up front. <laughs> uh, that Blackpool-Liverpool analogy, not r- totally ridiculous, by the way, because, of course, Neil Critchley was manager of the Liverpool under-23 team before he took this job, so you'd expect that to be... There, there was method in my th- you know, thought process, <laughs> Matthew, before Sam jumped in so rudely. Uh, let's move on to Ipswich 2, Shrewsbury 1. Posh pushed off the top and Ipswich back into the promotion spots after the Tractor Boys scored the last goal of the day in the 97th minute to get three points from the shrews flow is this is this going to be ipswich's year i mean we sort of said that at this stage last season and, and then it all fell apart is it is it going to be the same this time around i don't know when you look on it uh, look at it on the surface you think wow great run of results unbeaten at home haven't conceded an awful lot either i think that's, that's the first goal they've conceded at home but then actually i was talking to producer abby about this when you go on social media there is quite a lot of unrest about the, the quality and the way that they're getting these results. And yes, sometimes you need to win ugly and that's what gets you out of these divisions. But at the same time, they're a big club, big fan base. Lambert just got a, uh, a big new contract at the start of January. He's there. He's now contracted until 2025. So there's been a lot of faith and commitment put on him. He's been there for a while now and still hasn't managed to get them out. So I think at the same time, fans expect more. And I don't know whether there needs to be a change in order to deliver that. If Lambert's going to be stubborn and this is going to be the way it's going to be. And if they're going to go up, it's going to be this way. So I think it's an interesting one to watch um, and see how it potentially unravels. (laughs) Sam, last time Ipswich supporters were digging their heels in about the style of football, they got rid of Mick McCarthy and got relegated into League One. So should they maybe just take their medicine and, and hope that the results stay the same? You know I'm not going to have a go at any Ipswich Town supporters <laughs> due to my relation. I, d- I don't want to be Such abused. Such a scaredy cat. Sam. I don't want to be abused outside Pizza Hut once again after a uh, Derby Day defeat. Um, listen, it's gone a little bit full circle because I would say they're probably playing a bit too much football now without enough purpose. We said it after the Lincoln defeat a few weeks ago and I think that was evident again at the weekend. They're, they're dominating the ball. I think more... Uh, than ever really over the last couple of seasons but not hurting teams and um, yeah if they came up against a better team than Shrewsbury at the weekend that home record maybe would have gone they were reliant on a really poor own goal and then I think a goalkeeping mistake for the winning goal uh, as well so they need to improve. They've got big injuries. Don't get me wrong, but there's just no... I don't see a lot of thrust in the forward line. Sears and, and Judge in the wide positions. They've not got that ability to go on the outside, really, with pace and drive. Yeah, they've been good players, the pair of them, but that's not really their game. So the results are there, but the performance is clearly not. And yeah, I think that was probably... A team who are not full of confidence that they faced in Shrewsbury. I think they've been better since they've gone to a 3-4-3. They're a bit more attack-minded this season, but they still don't have a great deal of goals uh, within their ranks. So, yeah, it was a bit of a grubby victory. Yeah, I was going to say, as uh, like Sam mentioned towards the end there, Shrewsbury are not good. 
they're the sort of team that you want to be putting out dominant wins against. Ipswich had 69% possession, as Sam mentioned, that they're just passing it around a lot and not really being very decisive with it. But Shrewsbury are really poor. I think they are going to be really struggling. They're 22nd at the moment and it's not looking great. They've just got one win to their name. Burton, the only team below them and who are obviously struggling too. So I I looked at this game more, wow, Shrewsbury are bad rather than, wow, Ipswich are good. (laughs) Uh, Let's move on to Fleetwood 5, Plymouth 1, Sam's performance of the week. Pugwash over Pilgrims at Highbury Stadium. A brilliant performance from Fleetwood, Clarkie, but but in particular, Callum Camp standing out again. An argument could be made that he is the signing of the season in League One thus far. Yeah, I'm not surprised he's doing well because he was someone that always caught our eye. We talked a lot about him last year when he was at, at Rochdale. He's um, a good attacking midfield. He's got a lovely eye for goal. Scores good goals as well. It's not not just breaking into the box and scoring tap-ins. He can he can score a range. So yeah, he looks he looks a top player. Certainly one of the, one of the the best in the division so far this season. Fleetwood, you just you just knew that they would start to come good. It's a really slow start, wasn't it, for them? We've talked about how they needed more experience at the back. They got it. Now you look at the bench. It's it's frightening, really. The the strength and depth they've they've got to come off the bench. All experienced players, all guys that would you know walk into most teams at that level. So so yeah, it was Coots. Evans, Mackay, Duffy and Whelan all came on as subs at the weekend. You know, they, they, these are big names, really, at that level. Um, a word on, on Sam Finley. Uh, I think Sam touched on him earlier. Came from Accrington. Just, just wonder, a bit of a kindred spirit there with Joey Barton. Uh, I know he's a scouser. He got himself into real trouble at Accrington last season. Um, said some disparaging words to an opponent and was banned for eight games. And basically, then got released. But Joey picked him up, quite quite a shrewd addition, and, and thought, right, I'll, I'll I'll get him into line. And it was a big performance from him. I thought, he, yeah, he was excellent. So, uh, so yeah, watch out for Fleetwood. I, I I can't see them dropping out of the promotion picture now. Doesn't come easy to a lot of people, Flo. But we ought to give Joey Barton some praise. He's he's shaping up to be quite a decent manager by the looks of things. I was hoping you weren't going to ask me about this game, Matt. It pains me. It pains me to to see that that result because, yeah, I'm not the biggest Joey Barton fan, um, but you're probably not surprised to hear. And I just hope Plymouth don't dwell on this because I'm a much bigger Ryan Lowe fan. So um, hopefully they bounce back from this pretty quickly. On Plymouth, Sam, their top half, they were in decent form before Saturday, but only three teams have conceded more goals than them. So to my untrained eye, I would suggest that the defence needs some work. Yeah, I I thought even though Fleetwood bashed them, obviously were very energetic in stopping the way Plymouth like to play. I thought they were the story really because he made a a sub after 11 minutes. Kamara, the lad who did well for, um, for, for Crawley, withdrawn because he wasn't getting hold of the ball I think that was kind of the comments he brought someone on that was a bit more secure in possession and then he took Will Ameson off for Scott Wooten in the first half as well and the reason he gave for that was because his quality of delivery into Nublay wasn't very good and you know I understand his reasoning but I just think you risk 
upsetting people and losing the dressing room a little bit if you're going to be like that. So it'd be interesting to see how Plymouth get on in the next few weeks. And uh, I haven't even gone on to say that he made a further three at halftime or at the start of the second half. So he wasn't messing about. They got one back in in the second half. But yeah, I, I just think it's 3-5-2. They like to try and play. And when you go away to Fleetwood, who want to be aggressive, especially with the, you know, the experience that they've got, you sometimes have to have the ability to roll your sleeves up and be a bit more direct and be bang up for the physical confrontation. And maybe that's where Plymouth have to rethink things on occasions. Paul Tisdale, I know we'll come on to, was the master at that, at looking at every game on its merit and someone like myself towards the end who was maybe couldn't run as much and was a bit more physical this is a game for you and this is a game for someone who's going to be able to get on the ball and play one too so I think maybe Plymouth just becoming a little bit one-dimensional which may need you know a little bit of thinking. Well you mentioned Paul Tisdale Sammy's your old gaffer of course from your your days at Exeter what do you make of his appointment at, at Bristol Rovers? Well perfect because he lives in a very quaint Cotswold village so that'll be a nice what half hour commute for him um, I'm sure there'll be a nice little delicatessen en route um, but uh, yeah I mean it, I think because he's done a bit of media work recently it looked like he wanted back in he started I believe at Bristol Rovers as a as a kid uh, in the academy as a schoolboy or whatever so it looks like a bit of a romantic appointment but in terms of the the, the level the quality that Bristol Rovers have got within that squad in terms of young players, it looks to be a really good acquisition. Um, I think he'll know Tommy Widrington from their time together at Southampton. So maybe he had some input in that decision, even though he's been taking the team. And we'll wait and see what happens with his backroom staff, whether he goes back to Matt Oakley and, and Danny Butterfield and people like that. But considering the youthfulness of the squad and the location and his calibre as a manager for the reasons I've just stated um, I think it's a really good get for Rovers yeah Adrian in my absence last week you guys were talking about the the need to go for somebody with a bit of EFL experience and, and that's exactly what they've done yeah exactly I, I didn't think it was a job for for another r- risk yeah I think you had to go with tried tried and trusted although he's got a point to prove hasn't he Tisdale because most of his uh, most successful seasons came in League Two, bit of a League Two specialist at League One level, a bit bit more of a mixed bag. But then you could argue that you know with with Exeter and MK Dons, he'd done well to get them to that level in the first place. Um, wasn't the the best start for him in terms of performance? Sometimes you 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 get that new manager bounce. Definitely don't think that happened in the game. And he ripped it up, I think, and changed the tactics. He he went for he switched from three to four at the back, and and it, it did improve apparently after he made that change. So um, yeah, I, I just know that some of the supporters were, were a bit baffled by the where he used certain players. But it's hard, isn't it? When you've just taken over, you don't really know these guys inside out. I think it was he probably could have done with a little nudge and a wink from some of the existing coaching staff to say. Oh, not sure. Not sure he's best there, but but he'll learn quickly. I'm sure he's he's clearly a very good manager uh, at League One, League Two level. Uh, let's carry on building our midweek accumulator with Paddy Power. Then, Flo, your selection comes from League One. Yeah, I'm gone for Hull to beat Ipswich. Hull in fantastic form. We talked about Ipswich failings at the moment, so I think that's a pretty good one. Two of the in form promotion favourites, but Hull are unstoppable at the moment. 
Abby, give me some odds on that, please. Hull are 75 to beat Ipswich. Thank you. All right, it might be prosaic, but we're going to League Two next. It's a podcast that covers the EFL sequential. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. League Two headlines, Tranmere put five past Grimsby and then at six announced Keith Hill as their new manager. And Kevin Ellison fires Newport to the top of the table. He's older than 75% of the people you've heard on this podcast. Uh, Tranmere five, Grimsby nil then. Tranmere 4-0 up at halftime. James Vaughan reaching 100 career league goals. But it was the post-match news that stole the headlines. Fair to say the appointment of Keith Hill as Rovers boss wasn't universally welcomed by Tranmere fans on Twitter. Um, Flo, what do you make of it? It seems to be the fact that he's a a Bolton guy, born and bred, which has caused much of the consternation. Yeah, I can understand that local rivalry element that never goes down well, but he's a good manager and I think the club are obviously ambitious. There's some stability there if they can get the right person in. So I think it's it's a decent appointment and I think if he gets results... The fans will slowly get over that, to be honest. I, I obviously, you know, you, you, we all know what it's like, I'm sure, as fans, when you get that that local rivalry and with a new manager appointment. But I think it'll be fine. Obviously, difficult situation he had to put up with at Bolton, but this could be a fresh start. I think putting five past Grimsby is a is a good way to, to begin things before he properly comes in um, this week. But yeah, uh, an OK appointment, but expectations are high. Uh, Clarky, I saw a lot of tra- Tranmere fans saying, oh, why didn't we get the Cowley brothers? And I thought the same reason you didn't get Maurizio Pochettino because you're in League Two. There needs to be a bit of realism. <laughs> yeah, I think the Cowley brothers, uh, they operate at championship level now. I'd be surprised. I mean, they, they might take a big League One job, but but I don't think they'll be dropping down to League Two. They don't have to do that. Um, I, I feel a bit sorry for Ian Dawes. I don't know whether he really wanted the job full-time or not, but he couldn't have done any more, could he? He, he changed the system. He went to a 4-4-2 diamond. He garnered a, a fantastic reaction from the players, got the best out of this sort of glittering array of League 2 attacking talent that we've, we've talked about previously. It, they were working hard, pressing, the energy was great, and then you kind of start again, don't you, under, under a new guy. So, yeah, it's yeah shocked me a little bit that they didn't give the gig to him, but but maybe you know the Palios family looked at it and thought, well, how often do the caretakers actually succeed over the over the long haul, and and, and they've gone for a, a safer choice. I don't know, but look, I think that they should be challenging for promotion with the squad that they've got, no doubt about that. And I think this performance against a really sort of young and green Grimsby team j- just showed what potential they have. 
Dawson yeah, Parkinson talk- are, are sticking around as part of the coaching staff, which is good because obviously, like Adrian mentioned, they were, took them on a five-game unbeaten run. So you need to give them some credit for that. But it'll be interesting how that dynamic plays out with a new boss coming into town and two assistants who did a really good effort and, and how they'll be able to balance that. While we're talking managers, Sam... Grimsby, where do they go from here? Can't buy a goal, can't stop shipping them, which is appropriate for Mariners, but but it's not looking good for, for Ian Holloway. No, 14 goals they've let in in the last four, just three wins in, in 16. I think the most recent win was a, a scrappy 1-0 over Barrow. And obviously we all always admire Ian Holloway's openness, his, his honesty, and I did enjoy him at the, the weekend to the local press saying if the fans have got a problem come and see me we'll have a fans forum we'll talk about it and we'll iron out a few of the, the problems but it's a really difficult period uh, for them I think they've been very badly effect, affected by the pandemic as a lot of clubs have been um, and when you're going into a match up against uh, a Tramere team with the calibre of players of Vaughan and Blackett Taylor and Spearing you know the squad that Adrian just alluded to, you need to have a bit more experience. They went in with Gibson, a, a player that's essentially played a lot of non-league football, 22 years of age, and Windsor, a young kid on loan from West Brom leading the line. So he spoke about the the absence of Hansen, uh, how different it would be if they had James Vaughan in their lineup. And um, it's a really tough period. You'd like to think Ollie will turn it around. He's obviously invested his own money. We believe in the club. So... You hope that it turns around for him and that that's not going to prove to be a defining factor, if you like, if maybe they're going to have a little bit more patience with him because he's invested. It should be because he's a good football manager and not because he's taken on a slightly different role this time. And he says, Matt, doesn't he, that he's he's in the process of selling up his home and, and moving to the area. So he wants to commit to Grimsby. And this, this is the, the peril of being a football manager. You, you, you can sort of uproot and really commit and then... If results go wrong, you, you'll still get sacked. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. So, so yeah, really sort of um, nervy times, I guess. And there's a little bit of an issue, isn't there, away from the pitch. Obviously, he dug out his scout, which I thought was interesting at the weekend, sort of blamed him for, for giving him duff info. Um, you know, he can be quite emotional while he can. He, I think we all, we all agree we, we really like him. He's a great guy. He can be emotional and maybe probably says too much sometimes. Um, and the other the other instant was was that he kind of went on record and said that a couple of players had left the club. One of them, Bill Elmogny, who's since gone on social media, set up a Twitter account specifically to sort of answer back and say, "No, I'm, I've got a contract. I'll see you at training. I'm, I'm still here." So so that is is an issue for for Ollie to to deal with now. Bill Elmogny. <laughs> He was described by Paul Sturrock as a walking foul when he was at Southend United. And, and that was one of the kinder expressions that I've seen associated with Bill Elmogeny. He is the epitome of, of a loose cannon. And Ollie has said, he's gone on record and said, look, I shouldn't have signed him. And uh, yeah, so I'd, I don't know how that one's going to get resolved <laughs> one way or another. I think Bill Elmogeny might, might, might need a little bit of a payoff to, to leave, leave the building. I think it's also what's happening now is, is typical of Ian Holloway in the last sort of 10 years really is he can't really build anything long term because his style is so much about motivating each player and therefore it becomes so tricky to 
create you can't you can't sustain that you can't sustain that when you're relying on that over solid tactics or strategy and and this is kind of time and time again how it unravels for him and I think that's the bigger issue here is once he does an amazing achievement keeps you up or gets you promoted or whatever it may be that's it that it's so hard to build beyond that indeed uh, Newport County won Port Vale nil. Newport still top of the lot, but they left it late to beat Vale at Rodney Parade. Kevin Ellison bagging the injury time winner, thus becoming the Football League's oldest goal scorer since 42-year-old David Ayer scored for Oldham against Scunthorpe back in 2006. Another Newport corner. This one in towards the front post. is turned in. In the 96th minute, late drama here and surely a winner. For 41-year-old Kevin Ellison. Newport's best ever start to a league season. Flo, if they keep winning and get promoted, Mike Flynn won't need to keep linking himself with other jobs. Yeah, um, I love I love Newport. I really like them. And, and after a week where a different team in Wales was getting so much coverage and attention, it's great that they've just sort of quietly going about their business getting amazing results they're now six out of six at home play really exciting football a really talented midfield Scott Twine Josh Sheehan and and Jamie Devitt really exciting players to watch um I think the only issue is they live on the edge a little bit they they've won a lot of games just by one one goal margins and scored late on the weekend, they had 26 shots. So the issue for them is they have to be a lot more clinical because they're not. That's not going to happen every game. You know, those are normally a few flashes and and moments in your season. Not every single game that you're scoring in the last 10 minutes. So I do think they need to be much more clinical. And if you're having 26 shots, you've got to be scoring. You know, three of them at, at this rate. So it's great for them, and um, I think they're taking a lot of people by surprise as well. I think Flo's spot on. I think it's one of the stories of the season so far, given the the type of football they they have churned out under to Mike Flynn to completely change the style. And the three the three guys, Sheehan, uh, Twine, and and Devitt, you would never have believed that they'd be playing in a Newport midfield to to get them in there. Just shows you how different it's been. And on those late goals, it's four of the last five home games scored an 88th minute winner or later. Uh, than 88th minute, sorry. So th- th- that just shows you that they've still got that that aggression and that spirit that Mike Flynn obviously made his imprint, I think, very early on that side, that that's what it was about initially. And, and they've evolved. So, um, you know, all credit to him. And it'll probably make it a more attractive proposition for clubs when he ultimately does get a chance at a higher level. Uh, last game I want to look at today saw Oldham and Exeter's 13-match unbeaten run coming from behind to do so. A lot of long trips in the EFL this weekend. They won 2-1. Um, Clarky, there are pizza-adjacent and FA Cup games in this run, but Oldham now won four of their last five in all comps. I feel like maybe we've, we've not been giving Harry Kewell's efforts enough praise. We've been, been too busy focusing on the Emmerdale factor. <laughs> <laughs> the Emmerdale factor, yeah. Well, he's built an exciting team, Harry Kill, no doubt about that. Uh, the goals in this game were fantastic. Blackwoods, lovely curler on the back of a, of a of a really clever dummy, and then and then Danny Rose spanks in a free kick from thirty-five to forty yards. That it was just sensational, really. And he almost got another one later on in the game, which the keeper pushed away. So, so yeah, he's got he's got he's got good forwards, and and I think the most impressive aspect of this win is a. Not many teams go to, to Exeter and beat them. Um, so it takes a courageous, sort of adventurous performance. But also, 
backs to the wall at times. The keeper was good, Ian Lawler. Um, and, and, and the other part is that they did it without the two best attacking players so far this season, Zach Durnley and Connor McElhenney. So, so yeah, Oldham have got goals in them. It's just at the other end have they got enough to keep them out. In this game, great teamwork got them over the line. Sam, Exeter, the club where you finished your career, what did you make of them here? Well, I thought Faye Carruthers, in your absence, Matt, was very bold in going straight in with Matt Taylor last week and saying your defence isn't very good. Um, <laughs> but I think she's uh, she's spot on, really, because that's where they need to improve. Uh, only Morecambe in the top 15 have conceded uh, more goals than, than Exeter and only Cambridge and Cheltenham have scored more than the Grecians. So it's clear where their problems lie right now. But I thought Matt Taylor's interview was actually really good. Uh, in that they've they've tried to evolve the style a little bit, change one or two things, add more legs. So probably just a bit more flair and it's having a slightly negative effect on them um, defensively. But Clarkey said it, an abundance of chances, a bit of a smash and grab. I think Bowman was a bit wasteful. Uh, Williams as well, who did get the goal, but missed a, a couple of chances. So not one to be too concerned about. That's three games they've lost in the last two seasons at St. James's Park and they will be in the promotion shake-up. Don't worry about that. Uh, Adrian, you've got the final leg of our fourfold. It comes from League Two. Can you tell us your selection, please? Yeah, I'm going for Cluffy's Mansfield to beat Harrogate. Um, Harrogate have just hit a bit of a wall at the moment. They had a bright start to the season, but they were beaten heavily, really, 3-0 at Leighton Orient on the weekend come on the back of a couple of disappointing results and Mansfield are looking good I think under under Clough picked up some some nice results so yeah I think uh, a home win there is what I'm going to take Abby odds on that and and what does it do to our record please yeah the last piece in our Acker puzzle sees Mansfield beating Harrogate and Paddy Power are placing that at six to four so round that all up add it all together and stick it in their Acker calculator and you'll get 21 to one very good. You get money back as a free bet if one of your fourfold acker lets you down. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over only scenes only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, that's just about it for us this week. Before we go, though, given Plymouth's long and miserable trip to Fleetwood this weekend, I want to know the furthest you've travelled to play or watch football only to be on the receiving end of a drubbing. Uh, Flo, I imagine that, that you've been to a few stinky away games to watch QPR and, and not enjoyed the performance that much. Um, you're not wrong. I've been to some stinky places in my time, Matt. I think emotionally, not numerically, the heaviest defeat has to be travelling to and from Cardiff in one day for the 2003 playoff final, losing to Cardiff in the last minute of extra time and crying all the way home down the M4 till I got back and uh, yeah that, that was very painful well that's pretty bleak uh, Sam how about <laughs> you I was actually at that same game and uh, <laughs> leaving the Millennium Stadium with your blue and white scarf yeah. uh, surrounded by hundreds of thousands of Cardiff supporters was not the most uh, no. safe and happiest time of my life if I can recall <laughs> um, football terms not the most resounding of defeats, but I think I lost 4-0, 3-0, 2-0, 1-0 at Pool. And my uh, uncle, bless him, used to come down from Scotland and just appear at matches that were in the north of, of England. And he would always be there. It's next to the sea. So you get good fish and chips. And we were abysmal time after time. So not happy memories of Jeff Stelling's uh, 
special place. <laughs> happy place. That's, that, that, happy that's place. the name for the pod. So it is. Special place. <laughs> Jeff Stelling's special place. Uh, Clarky, quick, dig Sam out of this hole that he's dug for himself. Well, to get to Carlisle from South End is 340 miles. When you do it on a Friday after training, it takes about 10 hours. So that is miserable getting there. And then when you lose 5 0, as we did in January 1998, uh, Matt Jansen, uh, young upstart making his way got a brace that day um yeah that that journey home is 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 utterly miserable so yeah 680 mile round trip and i think if memory serves me right the driver had to there wasn't a spare driver so he had to stop at least once if not twice for breathers on the way home so yeah it was just not a happy place if we're going to go with that phrase it was not a happy place to be the south end team bus uh, after that miserable trip uh, I got plenty of examples from the 97-98 season uh, when I went all over the country to see Forest lose at various places, including 5-1 at Liverpool, 3-0 down after 20 minutes. Who thought it would be a good idea for John Olav Hjelda to man-mark 18-year-old Michael Owen? Uh, it was not. He got a hat-trick that day. It wasn't very good. Uh, Flo, thank you so much for being with us again. Thanks for having me, Matt. Clarky, loving your work as ever. Yeah, nice one. Sam, uh, loving your stamina. Go and get your head down for a bit. Thanks, mate. <laughs> George and Ali back with TFLS Extra Time on Thursday. Do join them for that. We'll see you again next week. For now, though, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh and despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better, more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. Muddy Knees Media. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.